Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, this might not be something you're thinking about in the dead of winter, but they are. The Hancock County Fair needs volunteers for an upcoming strategic planning focus group. Fair Board President Jeff Cole talks about planning for the future of the fair. Also this morning, what will it take to end COVID now? The international anti-poverty organization Care USA has a plan they say will get the world back to normal by attacking the virus and its variants on a global scale. We get our weekend basketball preview. Finley head coach Jim Rookie discusses the Trojans' scheduled games this weekend. And we have more recipes to warm you up as we dig out from all this week's snow from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, February 4th, 2022. May not be the best morning for a drive, but I thought this was kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know this morning, uh, driving on the highway uh, is falling out of favor among most Americans, it seems. According to a new survey of 2,000 drivers, about half, 42%, or no, I guess about half, a little more than 42%. Uh, half of Americans prefer to take back roads over the highways. The highways might be more efficient to get you where you want to go, but uh, they would prefer on a road trip to drive through small towns and kind of the uh, backwards see small town America. 42% though worry about driving in the dark, um, which is uh, even more than our fearful of unfamiliar roads 41 percent or 37 percent rather i really messed this up let me start over driving on the highway might save time but about half of americans prefer to go through small towns on road trips a survey of 2,000 drivers reveals that 42 percent worry about driving in the dark uh, making it a scarier prospect than unfamiliar roads at 37 percent for most respondents And uh, this is the thing that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. And this is how it, I think, really relates to winter weather driving this survey. 40% of the drivers in this survey think they are the best driver they know. Uh, (laughs) But 61% say they would only go on a road trip if they didn't have to drive, (laughs) even though they are the best driver they know. And I think we all realize that even though just about all of us believe that we are the best driver we know and it's all the other idiots on the road we know better when we're out there (laughs) because it is all the other idiots who probably think they're the best driver on the road uh also in this uh, survey it says uh people are only willing to take a journey lasting about seven and a half hours on average that's the um tipping point for a road trip if it's going to be any longer than that just rather fly or not go at all six and a half or seven and a half hours seven and a half hours is the threshold I think on a day like today, it may take you seven and a half hours to get out of your driveway. That's, you know, last night, my wife and I uh, actually uh, dug out our driveway uh, late, fairly late in the evening. Snow was still coming down. The wind was still blowing. And I'm sure that it's uh, blowed the driveway shut uh, again. But we dug out last night just to kind of get ahead of it, figuring better to shovel, shovel two or three inches this morning that uh, blew across the driveway, then two or three feet that uh, we had to uh, dig out uh, yesterday. But anyway, 
And it was. By the time we got to the end of the driveway, we looked back at everything we had shoveled out, and it was covered. It was <laughs> it was blown over with snow. But anyway, we got ahead of it a little bit. Here's uh, hoping, and be careful if you're going to be uh, digging out today, uh, because this can be very dangerous, o- easy to overexert yourself, especially with so much snow to shovel. Frequent breaks, give yourself a little bit of uh, time to get all of the snow shoveled. And um, now the thing is, on the other side of the snow and the wind is the cold. And we're talking about temperatures in the teens, may not get out of the teens today at all. And wind chills uh, right around zero for much of the day. So don't be out too long if you got to clear your walk or your driveway or what have you. So... By the way, we're talking about road trips. Where would you go if you were going on a road trip? Uh, Probably not Kentucky. A new study says Kentucky is the most unhappy place in the nation. Kentucky. The study by the sleep experts at Amerisleep uh, factored in 17 different criteria, including mental health, income, sleep rates, of course, and environment, And they found that Kentucky is the most unhappy place to live. The happiest place is North Dakota, which scored very highly thanks to its open space and beauty, as well as having the highest income growth rate compared to the previous year. Uh, Vermont, Nebraska, South Dakota, and California round out the top five happiest places Just above Kentucky, at the bottom of the list, I thought this was interesting, West Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, and Ohio. Fifth from the bottom, and the most unhappy places to live. Well, (laughs) this week that's probably true with with the snow. No question about that. Uh, Earlier in the week, the nominations were announced for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2022, and the leading vote-getter so far for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because fans can vote, at vote.rockhall.com, and so far leading the vote-getters, Pat Benatar. She has over 58,000 votes in just the first couple of days. Duran Duran follows closely with over 50,000. And Dolly Parton is uh, right on their heels with just a few hundred less. Uh, The rest of the top five vote-getters thus far for inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the class of 2022, Eminem and the Eurythmics. So Pat Benatar, Duran Duran, Dolly Parton, Eminem and the Eurythmics. We'll see when the votes are counted and when the decisions are made, whether uh, that will be the uh, the class. But uh, again, fans can vote. Vote.rockhall.com. The inductees will be announced in May. A couple of other uh, interesting stories, the most buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started, TGIF and all of that. Super Bowl is not this weekend, but next weekend. And as we know, the commercials have become an anticipated part of the big game. And NBC Universal says they have sold out their entire ad inventory for the game. And several of the commercials went for a record $7 million a pop. 
That's just a 30-second spot. $7 million. And there are a number of advertisers that have purchased and do every year multiple commercials or much longer commercials than the traditional 30-second or even 60-second spots. So you can only imagine how much they've paid. NBC did not reveal the average price for an advertisement, but last year, CBS got about $5.5 million uh, for a 30-second spot, and that's about the same as what Fox got um, as well when it was their turn. So those are the most recent ones. So it was a big... uh, a big bump, $7 million. Um, Deadline notes the comparison isn't exactly the same year to year since ads this year will run across broadcast streaming and the first ever Spanish language network broadcast on Telemundo. Uh, So it includes all of those platforms. Ad prices could also have been affected by the surge in NFL ratings for what have been great playoff games. It really has been a great playoff season. Um, And already the regular season ratings are pretty good. More than 30 of the advertisers will have a spot in the Super Bowl for the first time. So that's about 40% of the uh, total number of advertisers uh, are first-timers, are new to the big games. And I don't know what those advertisers are, it doesn't say, but about 40% or 30 new advertisers to look forward to in the Super Bowl. And uh, lastly, this morning, among the first things that you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day, along with the Super Bowl, next weekend is Valentine's Day weekend. Now, Valentine's Day itself is Monday the 14th, But uh, Valentine's weekend, next weekend, when everybody's going to be going out and all of that. So why not spend the big night cuddled up with a romantic movie? Fandango's on-demand streaming service, Voodoo, uh, surveyed about 2,000 people and 82% said watching a movie with their significant other is their favorite Valentine-themed activity. So that's pretty common. Just curling up by the fire. Uh, watching a a romantic movie. And with that in mind, they have released a list of the most streamed romantic movies of all time. And number one on that list, A Star is Born, the version with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Number one on the list of the most romantic movies to stream on Valentine's Day, A Star is Born. Uh, Second on the list, Crazy Rich Asians, Constance Wu and Henry Golding, Uh, The Twilight Saga with Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson took third. The steamy Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy lands at number four. (laughs) Depending on what you want, where you want the night to go, I guess. And uh, then Disney's live action remake of Beauty and the Beast was number five on that list. And I thought that was that was really interesting. Uh, Very contemporary movies. Uh, among the supposed most romantic movies of all time. But again, these are the most streamed romantic movies, so it stands to reason that they would be uh, much more recent movies when we're talking about streaming. I think most people stream more current movies than uh, the older classics. I mean, there, but there are certainly plenty of older classics that could fit into that, fill the bill as well. But those are the top five, according to Voodoo. So there you go. So you make your uh, Valentine's Day plans now. 
Those are some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today with a high of 18, wind chill values below zero. Down to about three tonight with wind chill values again below zero. Finley City Schools will be closed again today due to the winter storm. The school district says today will be a remote learning day as yesterday was. Remember, you can find the updated list of closings, cancellations, and road alerts on the website. The Finley Fire Department is asking people to be a good neighbor and to clear the snow from around the nearest fire hydrant. You know, they can really help their neighbors out, help themselves out, if they just take a few minutes and and make sure that that hydrant is, um, one, uh, visible, and two, accessible. Fire Chief Josh Eberle says they don't expect it to be 100% cleared, but the main thing is that firefighters can see the hydrant easily and get to it without too much trouble. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose says a routine review of potential voter fraud has identified 62 cases. Of those, 31 are non-citizens who registered to vote but did not cast a ballot. The other 31 may have cast illegal ballots, including 27 in the 2020 general election. LaRose emphasized it's a tiny fraction of nearly 6 million votes cast. He says the criminal referrals are all about accountability and showing lawbreakers Ohio takes election security seriously. Dave James, I went in new. An Ohio family is suing a physician and a hospital system saying the wrong sperm was used during a fertilization procedure decades ago. The lawsuit says Jessica Harvey Galloway learned from a DNA ancestry test that the man who helped raise her wasn't her biological father. Galloway, with the help of her attorney's law firm, were able to identify and then confirm through sleuthing and DNA testing her real biological father's identity. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. In the middle of this snowstorm, the city mission of Finley is still serving their community meals. We gave away 20 meals today at lunch of people still in this weather walking to pick up hot meals just because they're not able to provide those at home. Timothy McDowell says the mission has also opened a warming center to give people a chance to get out of this frigid weather. And he says the community has been great with donating blankets and pillows. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Our cover story this morning, you may not be thinking about this in the dead of winter, but they are. The Hancock County Fair needs volunteers for an upcoming strategic planning focus group. And Fair Board President Jeff Cole is with us this morning to talk about planning for the future of the fair. Uh, Jeff, this is actually a pair of meetings that you have coming up, what, next week, right? Good morning, Chris. Yes, that's that's right. We have uh, decided to... Uh, have these focus group meetings and and sort of uh, divide them up into two different groupings. One would be our membership, our Ag Society membership meeting. Uh, and so for anybody who was a Ag Society member in 2021, we'd invite you to join us in that session. And that session is the second session of the day, um, starting at six o'clock. And uh, we'll expect to go as many as long as two hours on that the other focus group and this is open to anyone in hancock county uh you do not need to be do not need to be a member of Mm -hmm. the ag society so if you're if you're an interested um individual that would like to have some input on the things that go on at the ag society certainly the the fair but not only the fair there's also 51 other weeks of the year that we want to talk about as well 
So what are you uh, hoping to glean from this? Because this you're actually working with uh, an outside uh, strategic planning consultant, I guess, uh, with all of this. What are you hoping to glean from this? That's right. So we've contracted with Shiftology out of Springfield, uh, Ohio, to come in and help facilitate this activity because there's a lot of activities that just like these focus groups where the board members themselves will not participate. So this is an opportunity for those individuals to uh, come in and communicate with us and not, uh, you know, w- without the board members themselves uh, participating so that they can uh, speak freely as much as they would like to, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the fact that uh, this is something that they are very uh, professional at doing and, and they've got a process to drive us through. So our, our goal is to is to update our strategic plan. It's been uh, many years, maybe a decade or more since this last time the Ag Society has focused on the strategic plan. And uh, we decided not only just because of the pandemic, but it sort of uh, has triggered a lot of thoughts around this idea, right? That, hey, it's time to do that again and and update the strategic plan, make sure that we're that we're not only relevant, but that we're essential to the community and the things that we do for them and, and that they look for us to to provide for them. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, how much of this was triggered by the pandemic over the past couple of years, or was this kind of on your radar already? Well, it should have been on our radar, uh, Chris, but I'm not sure that it was before the pandemic. But I, I think everyone would agree the pandemic has, has uh, triggered a lot of uh, introspection of uh, what's going on, you know, with your with ourselves, with our own organizations, with our own um, uh, businesses, and so forth, and and the changes that pandemic caused during the during the the the, the hardest times during 2020, obviously, and into mm-hmm. 2021. Right. Uh, and then now that we're sort of rolling out of that, um, uh, you know, what does it mean? And it certainly has, I, I believe, anyway, it's changed things in our society a little bit and how things how people look at things now these focus groups that are coming up next week and by the way this is uh on thursday of next week february 10th uh, but that will actually just be the first part uh then what happens after that well uh yeah so the second part this is actually the second part because the current first phase is uh that they have been doing uh strategic uh, uh, stakeholder interviews with a lot of our folks in the county such as uh, the mayor's office, the commissioner's office, uh, the county superintendent, um, and uh, uh, convention bureau and uh, chamber of commerce and the like, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they're doing uh, 10 or 12 interviews uh, with those uh, individuals and organizations to get the, their feedback. Uh, this is uh, our, our opportunity to provide a more open forum to a bigger uh, population to join us. Uh, and then uh, after that, then um, we'll we'll look at this information and, and we'll begin to formulate what our strategic objectives will be coming out of that. There is also a community survey, community-wide survey uh, that will be uh, sent out uh, here in the coming weeks uh, for people to provide input in that way as well, I understand. That's correct. Cr- that's correct. That's correct. So at the end of the day, again, you mentioned it's been a while since uh, the Fair Board is really or the Ag Society has really taken a big picture look at this. But some folks will remember uh, that a couple of decades ago, I guess now, uh, there was talk of of moving the fairgrounds. Perhaps there was a you know there were big plans. There were big ideas. 
what are you what do you expect to come out of this inter certainly with all of the investments that have made at the at the current fairgrounds that's not something that you are necessarily looking at what what do you anticipate to be uh, looking at with uh, when all is said and done with this well you're right Chris um, we certainly have recommitted to the the, the current facility and uh, the current property as a, a long-term uh, investment at this point. Mm -hmm. So you know, my motto, my personal motto anyway, for the Ag Society um, in 2022 is the other 51, um, the other 51 weeks of the year, what are we doing the other 51 weeks of the year when uh, we're not actually in the week, the Labor Day weekend of the county fair. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that would be, you know, what else are we doing as far as events that the Hancock County Ag Society uh, sponsors themselves, right? Not just uh, renting of the facility to other organizations who come in and, and have events on our facilities, which we still appreciate all of that. And, and, and that's certainly a service that we provide to the community for that. But, you know, what, what additional um, uh, events can we hold for the for the county and the community in order to um, bring value to Hancock County. The, the other would be how can we partner with other organizations uh, with the use of the facilities that we have for things that they want to do, uh, including and not to not to be limited to, but including uh, when there's a soccer tournament or a basketball tournament or a baseball softball tournament in town, uh, why don't we open up our campgrounds to folks who come in mm. and maybe want to camp instead of staying at the hotel or something like that? So those kind of things are what we're looking for um, uh, as to, you know, are we thinking the right things? Are, are there other folks out there? Are there other organizations out there that wish to partner with us mm -hmm. uh, in some of these endeavors? So uh, maybe some out of the box thinking. And then when will this uh, process conclude and when will the community sort of uh, get an idea of some of the ideas that have been presented moving forward? Yeah. So we've, we've got a target date to have this wrapped up in July. Uh, if everything stays on schedule, mm -hmm. and if uh, and if we can be efficient with the processing of the information after we get through that information collection stage, so we hope to be able to roll out our 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 refreshed strategic objectives in the July August timeframe, or, or perhaps we'll just sort of save it for uh, unveiling at the fair at the end of August. Um, so I think that's when you'll but, see that information come out of us. But yet this year, you anticipate this uh, process oh, to be uh, completed. For sure, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So sure. again, the uh, focus groups uh, will be, uh, these uh, focus group meetings will be held on Thursday of this coming week uh, for general community members uh, beginning at 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Ag Society members, uh, that meeting would be uh, at about 6. And you're asking folks to sign up if they are interested. That's correct. So if you could send us an email, uh, and, and this is per, for planning purposes, uh, as far as uh, how many folks we can accommodate. We're also planning on serving a light dinner, pizza or subs or something like that um, for those who participate. So if you could send an email to Senior Fair, S-R-F-A-I-R, Senior Fair at HancockFairgrounds.org, that'll help us plan for uh, uh, the size of the group and so forth. And, and if we have a huge response, um, you know, we may have to limit uh, some of the participation and we'll, we'll let you know. So we'd like you to RSVP and then we'll confirm 
with you that uh, we're counting on you to be there. All right. And hey, you're going to give free food, then you can't beat that. That's the way to get people to respond. <laughs> yeah. No question. By That's the way, right. this is at the uh, old Millstream Center uh, at the uh, fairgrounds is where all of this will be held. We've got more information at our webpage at goodmornings.net. Again, Fair Board President uh, Jeff Cole with us uh, this morning talking about planning for the future of the fair. Jeff, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Hope to see you all at the fair. Well, it may not seem this way based on some of the reporting through the course of the pandemic, but the U.S. is leading the world in fighting COVID-19. While it's true that there are certainly things that we could have done better over the past couple of years, today, new plans are being discussed that could help reduce the risk of new variants and finally allow us to get back to normal. And joining us this morning is Dr. Angela Wakwea. Senior Director of the Health Equity and Rights Team for Care USA, which is the American wing of Care International, the Humanitarian Aid and International Development Agency. And Dr. Wakwea, what is this planning under discussion and evaluation of which you speak? Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, the U.S. has actually led the way in the development of the vaccine and manufacturing the vaccine and increasing the supply around the world including donating over $1.7 billion, uh, $1.7 billion, uh, $1. billion doses, mm-hmm. excuse me. But at the same time, the leadership brought together the leadership from around the world and asked them to commit to ensuring that 70% of uh, the population around the world is vaccinated. That is critical because COVID-19 anywhere is COVID-19 in the United States. We cannot be safe until everybody is safe. So while the U.S. is leading the way, we need to do more in order to come back to normal. And that investment globally to increase vaccine supply to the last mile requires we have calculated $17 billion. Mm. And, and really, that is uh, the reason we wanted to, to speak with you today. And what I find most interesting about this is to underscore what you were saying this is part of the recovery, the COVID recovery story that has only been marginally covered, I think, by many of the major news organizations. That getting this fully under control requires addressing it on a global level, not just here in the homeland, if you will. Absolutely. COVID 19 is a global pandemic, it is everywhere. And so, even as we control it in the United States, we have variants springing up whether in the United States or globally, if it's not controlled everywhere, including uh, places in the United States, but also globally, it will, variants will continue to spring up. So it is important for the United States to continue its leadership by investing in what we call program delivery, which I have coined as tarmac to arm, because even as vaccines reach these countries, they hit the tarmac. They need to pass through the capital cities and go to the last mile, to rural villages, to urban slums, to refugee camps, in order to control COVID-19 at the very ends of the earth. And in order to do that, it is important that you, the United States puts in an investment into that program delivery piece. And now, that is where we are calculated will require at least billion. Yeah, I I was going to say that number you just threw out there uh, is a huge number. However, 
how can the United States uh, alone afford that? Are you suggesting that the United States alone invests that amount of money, or is this something that is also going to have to be a commitment globally? It needs to be a commitment globally, and the U.S. does need to lead the way in putting a down payment on that investment. You need to remember that the Afghan war um, cost quite a bit. It was important for the United States to be there and help in that war for freedom. However, that war was 1%. The cost of the Afghan war is 1% of what we are asking be the investment. So $17 billion can seem a lot, but it's 1% of what the United States spent in, in, in Afghanistan. So it can be done. The United States does need to lead the way and needs to lead other countries globally to make that investment in program delivery. Because again, remember that COVID-19 anywhere is COVID-19 in the United States. We cannot uh, release that leadership. A fair point. Uh, But that being said, this is not going to go away. COVID-19, I think the general consensus is this will likely be with us in perpetuity, but in endemic form, not uh, the pandemic that we are seeing. But in the end, you say this is the type of strategy that will finally free us from all of these arguments about masking up and social distancing and the supply chain issues and, and help us get back to normal? Correct. Chris, you correctly point out that the COVID-19 is likely not to go away completely, but at least we will come back to some level of normalcy where we are able to move about more freely. Uh, We are able to, uh, our economies can recover. And that is because we need to hit that tipping point. Uh, The U.S. government has called for 70% of the global population to be vaccinated in 2022. That is the tipping point to come back to normal. So in that way, um, we can control the variants that might rise up, and it's the variants that make us go back to social distancing and masking and closing down our economy. So if we reach that tipping point, we would be able to come back to some level of normalcy. So we mentioned that some of the reporting may not give one this impression, and yes, there have been missteps along the way, but the U.S. is leading the world in ending the pandemic threat of COVID, and how will we continue to do so? I mean, you talk about uh, what what the commitment has to be ultimately. Where are we now, and how close are we to this? Many countries in the global south are nowhere near that 70% tipping point. Hence the request for this investment of $17 billion. Many countries in sub-Saharan Africa are less than 10% vaccinated, less than 5% vaccinated, and in some countries, less than 1% vaccinated. And even here in the United States, we're not quite there at the, at the 70%. But it is important that we continue to push this um, agenda with our uh, Congress and including in the in the public financing domain mm-hmm. that we need this investment in order to increase the vaccination rate. Again, Dr. Angela Wakwea is Senior Director of the Health Equity and Rights Team for Care USA, the American Wing of Care International. Where do we get more information uh, about this and, and this plan that you have to uh, actually get this done 
in the foreseeable future? We encourage everybody to go to endcovidnow.com, endcovidnow.com, where you can get more information. Dr. Wakwaya, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Well, here we go with what we hope will be another weekend of high school basketball. Remains to be seen whether this weekend's games will actually be played because of the uh, winter storm this week. The snow event is pretty much over. We may pick up an additional inch today, but no big deal there. The winds have died down. What we are left with is the cold. Temperatures, especially tonight, going to be down into the single digits, sub-zero wind chills. And of course, got to have time to dig out from all of this that we got over the past couple of days. But... Saturday's games, probably a better possibility. Uh, tonight's games will be maybe rather iffy, but as it stands, the Trojans do have a pair of games on this weekend's schedule. The Trojans broke even over the past week with a loss to Whitmer and a win over Central Catholic, and Finlay head coach Jim Rookie spoke with our John Marshall on Wednesday's Coach's Corner about those games and this weekend's scheduled matchups with Clay and Elida. A pair of Three Rivers Athletic Conference games over the last week. Friday, it was a loss to Whitmer. In the first half, it had largely been positive for your Trojans. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we we had, had the game going the way we wanted it, and then it just turned on us, and uh, they they did a good job of speeding things up, and we might have uh, maybe just made a couple bad decisions and lost the lead, and then uh, you know things got going their way, and we couldn't put the ball in the basket, which is always the, the big thing, and uh, got away from us. But yeah, just a, a bad maybe eight or ten minutes per, uh, segment there really really got us. You were off on Saturday, then back at it, getting a ten-point win over Toledo Central Catholic, 66-56. You held the Irish to just 11 points in the first half. That is a nice defensive effort, no matter who you're playing. Yeah, you know, uh, you you never know, really. You know, it's hard to tell whether or not you're playing great defense or maybe they're just not shooting the ball well. Um, But I thought the key was that we defensive rebounded really well. You know, when when a team is is not making shots, there's a lot of opportunities for offensive rebounds. And as big and athletic as they are, that was our number one concern going into the game. And, uh, you know, with the, with uh, that many opportunities, I, I thought, you know, we whether whether we defended them well or they missed the shots, the, the, the thing that is certain is we defensive rebounded and kept them from getting uh, easy putbacks, and that's what enabled us to to play a good defensive first half. Max Roth with 26, Jay Bishop with 21, Justin Roth had 10. That's a pretty good offensive output. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think in the first half, uh, you know, we, we got the ball out a little bit, got some easy baskets in transition. We executed pretty well a couple times and got baskets. And and then uh, Jake uh, made made some big threes in the second half when, when we were trying to spread things out, and then Max got to the rim uh, later in the game and had a couple great finishes and got fouled a few times and made all his free throws. You go to Clay on Friday night for a conference game, then back home for a non-conference with Elida. 
neither of those two teams is having much luck this season. Even so, your team is going to need to be sharp for both of those games, and I would expect that you'll be talking to them about that. Well, we try not to worry too much about who we're playing. We're, we're, we're trying to get better ourselves and worry about what we do. And No matter the record, every team has a player or two that you'll be looking out for. Who is that for Clay? Uh, they have a little point guard. Uh, I can't remember. Jones, maybe, number one, who who does a really nice job for them and he, he's he's been scoring more for them lately you know they they played uh, they were up on St. John's at halftime a couple weeks ago they beat a, a Swan they got their first win the other last week maybe against Swanton who was 14 and 2 so uh, they're playing a little bit better and um, they you know they've got some guys that play really hard they they their their coach new coach is doing a good job with them, uh, you know regardless of the record Elida always has some strengths too. Any thoughts on uh, what the Bulldogs are going to bring? They're young. They have a first-year coach also. He came from Lima Perry, where he had some success, and they have a uh, probably their leading scorer is a freshman point guard who's a nice little player and uh, is going to be a good player. Very good, Tim Rookie, talking Trojan boys basketball with us. Thanks for coming out. Good luck getting those games in with all the weather. Thanks, John. Again, the uh, schedule has the Trojans headed to Clay this evening, and due to technical issues at Clay High School, we will not have that game on the air, but we will carry Saturday's tilt with the Elida Bulldogs, assuming it happens. Uh, other games scheduled to be played this weekend on our family of stations, Pandora Gilboa at Liberty Benton in BBC action on 100.5 WKXA. Ottawa Glandorf is at, <clears throat> excuse me, Ottawa Glandorf is at Shawnee tonight and hosting Harvest Prep out of Franklin County in the OG Winter Classic tomorrow. Those games on 106.3 The Fox. You can follow all the area games in real time online at the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College at WFIN.com slash scoreboard. We also have that link up at goodmornings.net and of course catch the Coach's Corner with John Marshall Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. live from Ralphie's and anytime on demand at WFIN.com. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A fight over mayonnaise has landed an Iowa man in prison. <laughs> now, there is a line that I never thought that I would say. There's uh, a, a news article that I never thought uh, I would see. A fight over mayonnaise has landed an Iowa man in prison. 29-year-old Christopher Erlbacher of Woodbane, Iowa, which is near Omaha, I guess. Apparently, I don't know if he was thinking it was a gag or what, but he put mayonnaise on a friend's food while they were drinking together at a bar. That led to his friend did not, uh, did not take too kindly uh, to that. That led to a fist fight. And the fisticuffs escalated to the point where Mr. Erlbacher later ran his friend down with his truck outside the bar and then turned around and ran him over twice more for good measure. Wow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a fight over mayonnaise right there. Uh, Mr. Erlbacher uh, is now uh, been sentenced to uh, time in the slammer. Not surprisingly. <clears throat> Speaking of people behaving badly, one woman uh, got thrown off, uh, thrown off a uh, Delta flight on the tarmac. At, well, she didn't get thrown off 
on the tarmac, but the plate was on the tarmac at uh, Fort Lauderdale Airport in Florida on Tuesday. Video posted to social media shows a woman and her male companion being very disruptive uh, before the uh, plane was forced to return to the terminal. The passenger who took the video said the pair were yelling and cursing from the moment they got on the flight which was supposed to go to Atlanta but never got off the ground when the cabin crew was trying to get the pair to exit the plane. This is what what makes it kind of funny. The woman can be seen bending down to pick up something on the floor, screaming, my lucky pennies, I'm getting my lucky pennies, and you can shut up. (laughs) Her good luck charm, bad luck for everybody else on the flight. Delta said they have zero tolerance for unruly behavior and yada, 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 yada. (laughs) <laughs> my lucky pennies. Just let me get my lucky pennies. All right, then. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning. Uh, speaking of lucky, if you believe in lucky numbers, one baby in St. Louis uh, certainly has his uh, right from the day he was born. Jada Jarrett gave birth yesterday uh, or day before yesterday, I guess. Uh, this would be making while she was making her way to the hospital while she was in labor in the middle of the snowstorm that was hitting the uh, area. Uh, it, they discovered she wasn't going to make it to the hospital. So uh, hubby turns into a, uh, a parking lot and uh, baby Nasir had perfect timing as he arrived at 2.22 a.m. on February 2nd. 2.22 a.m. on February 2nd. 2.22 on 2.22. Mom uh, tells local news reporters uh, she thinks he's a pretty lucky baby. Uh, She was interviewed on Fox 2 in St. Louis. Kind of ironic there. Anyway. Speaking of uh, giving birth, when Jimmy John's brags about their freaky fast delivery, this is not what they mean. A couple in Joliet, Illinois, were slowly traveling through the winter weather, headed to the hospital. When uh, mom realized they weren't going to make it, they pulled into a Jimmy John's and called 911, which sent uh, nearby firefighters to the scene. Plainfield fire officials say the baby girl was delivered within 10 minutes. Freaky fast. (laughs) Mom and newborn transported to a local hospital where they're doing well, uh, and dad is recovering, I guess. <laughs> and finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, this is a crazy story involving Amazon's Jeff Bezos. A city in the Netherlands has agreed to spend several weeks dismantling a historic bridge so that Jeff Bezos' new gigantic super yacht can get to the open seas this summer. The founder of Amazon is uh, currently has currently under construction a 417 foot long, 417 foot long, three masted ship. It is under under construction in the Netherlands, but the pleasure boat will be too tall to pass under the landmark uh, Koningshaven Bridge in Rotterdam, which only has a 130 foot clearance. And this is taller than that, 417 feet long, uh, taller than 130 feet. Uh, So as a workaround, the mega billionaire 
and the boat maker reportedly asked officials in Rotterdam to temporarily dismantle the iconic bridge and pledge to reimburse the city for expenses. Think about how much that's going to cost. I mean, honestly. Of course, Jeff Bezos has money to burn, but still. Uh, taking apart and reassembling the middle section of the bridge was expected to take more than two weeks. Rotterdam officials touted Mr. Bezos' pet project as a revenue generator for the city. That's <laughs> we'll spare no expense. Must be nice to have that kind of money, you know what I mean? There you go. That is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Now time for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So... Uh, We know about uh, COVID fatigue, right? The uh, pandemic fatigue. We're sick of the lockdowns and all of the restrictions and all of that. And the good news is that the pandemic shows signs of easing, but there may be an upside for the Valentine industry. A new survey suggests that we are gearing up for this Valentine's Day in a big way. Nearly 2,100 Americans uh, in the survey commissioned by LendingTree said we are expecting to spend 44% more on our loved ones in 2022 for Valentine's Day compared to last year. 44% more this year. Uh, $142 is what we spent in 2020, 144 in 2021. And on average, those with a significant other this year plan to spend $208 to make Valentine's Day special. Survey says nearly 40% are planning to go out to eat. Uh, 26% said they did that last year. Fewer people planning to save money this year by skipping the night out. Just 31% of respondents are saying that they are staying home this year, down from 39% in 2021. Uh, While nearly 75% of parents in a recent poll agreed that COVID-19 has changed things up when it comes to romance, more than half still want to get away overnight. Uh, This survey, separate survey of 2,000 couples, 500 uh, parents found, uh, oh, it's 2,000 couples and 500 single parents found that for some, the pandemic has shifted what makes Valentine's Day special. So I thought this was interesting, too. 53% of parents in this uh, poll sponsored by Zulily want to spend a Valentine's Day, uh, want to have a Valentine's Day overnight trip. Uh, uh, What was that? 53% want an overnight trip. 46% prefer a fancy dinner. 41% a night out on the town. 38% 38% just want to 
go to the bar. <laughs> the bottom line is uh, this other, the second survey supports what the first survey found is that by and large, we just don't want to stay home. 31% of married parents want to get out of their home for Valentine's Day compared to just 19% of single parents. 21% of married parents say they would find romance in doing projects around the house. 20% want to spend Valentine's Day cooking dinner with their partner. It's a home-cooked meal. And 18% wouldn't mind playing video games together. So, I don't know about that. But uh, the long and short of it is, we are ready to cut loose, get out of the house. Pandemic fatigue certainly having an upside for those uh, in the business of catering to Valentine's Day couples and romance and all of that. We're going to be spending a lot more this year than we did last, certainly. I know things must be improving because we're doing the show from the home studio. We're here in the bunker uh, this week, obviously, for obvious reasons. Uh, and I noticed earlier a jogger just ran by our house. Oh, nice. So you didn't see that yesterday, no. that's for sure. There were no there were no joggers Maybe out flying yesterday. flying the other way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so things must be improving somewhat. By the way, uh, along those same lines, also need to mention this because I, I failed to mention it earlier. Today is National Thank a Mail Carrier Day. And boy, if there was ever a and time... And we had mail yesterday. I know. We were out. I, I mentioned that uh, we were out yesterday, <laughs> yeah. uh, late in the evening, shoveling out the driveway, uh-huh. thinking, you know, no. yeah, we'll get some of it done, and at yeah. least then we won't have to shovel out four feet of snow yep. uh, today. But uh, And, and we, we had noticed, a good Samaritan come by and help us a yeah, little bit. And it was so very thank nice. You very thank much. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and... Uh, as a matter of fact, he mentioned the same thing that I was thinking. Can you imagine if everything that we had had on Wednesday was oh. snow instead of rain? Yeah. How much more oh my uh, gosh. it would have been? Oh, my goodness. But anyway, as we were uh, shoveling out the driveway, I checked the uh, mailbox and... Sure enough, there, there was, was mail, mail there. I did. Our not... other mail was still in there too, because they were probably like, "Throw it in there and let's get going." <laughs> get going yeah. But uh, yeah, the mail that we were uh, sending out. But anyway, uh, National yeah. Thank a Mail Carrier Day to yep. be sure today. My wife Kyra has joined us in the uh, studio, and uh, that means it must be time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's kitchen. Stuff to kind of warm you up from the inside out. Yes. So today is uh, we're out digging out from everything we got over the past couple of days you're going to need uh, something warm mm-hmm. and a, a, a comfort food this is great stuff yes you can put this in the crock pot yep. go out and do your th- uh, shoveling and it'll be done by the time <laughs> <laughs> and it's done when you get back uh, this is crock pot taco pizza yes so one pound of ground beef one packet of taco seasoning one 16 ounce jar of salsa two cups of mexican blended shredded cheese uh, one 16.3 ounce can of uh, your flaky refrigerated biscuits and your favorite taco toppings are, which are an option. So pray, uh, spray your uh, crock pot with your cooking oil, uh, cut each biscuit about eight cubes or so, uh, place those in the bottom of your casserole crock pot or your, uh, uh, six quart regular crock pot. Um, I used my casserole one for this one. Yeah, if you've never seen these, by the way, yeah, I love uh, mine. They yeah. are really handy yep. for recipes like this. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a crock pot in the yep. shape of a casserole yes. dish. Yes, so. it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So brown your ground beef in a skillet. Drain. 
uh, place back into your skillet, sprinkle with your seasoning, add the water as directed on your seasoning packet, um, mix that around, let that cook um, as your directions on your seasoning packet, then spread the beef um, on top of your biscuits, then pour salsa on top of your beef Mm -hmm. and spread that around, then sprinkle with cheese evenly on top of everything, cook on high for about two hours, and serve with your favorite taco seasonings. Yeah, your your toppings, your lettuce, and your... Uh, you yeah. know, olives, yeah, whatever else. I said seasoning. Yeah. Your, your, taco your toppings, ta- your sour cream, I, you know, your would lettuce, think, your I tomatoes. Think, I would think, yummy. too, you could do this as sort of a regular pizza yeah. if you substitute the salsa for just like a tomato sauce yep. or, yep. you know, your pizza sauce. And um, instead and of the... your favorite toppings on. Yeah. And instead of the uh, uh, Mexican... Uh, cheese mm-hmm. blend, just mm-hmm. a regular oh, yeah. cheese blend, maybe yeah, a mozzarella. cheddar mozzarella mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Yep. So you can do this in oh, any yeah. number of ways, yep. but you know, specifically in the recipe, the crockpot taco pizza yes. there, good stuff. Uh, we have a crab dip. Yes. So um, eight ounce package of uh, cream cheese take uh, at room temperature, a half a cup of man or a fourth a cup of mayonnaise and a fourth a cup of sour cream, one tablespoon of minced garlic, two tablespoons of minced dried onion, one and a half teaspoons of Old Bay seasoning, uh, half a teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce, two tablespoons of lemon juice, one cup of freshly shredded uh, cheddar cheese, divided, uh, half a teaspoon of hot sauce, and one six-ounce can of white crab meat. And you don't, if you don't want the hot sauce, you don't have to have the hot sauce. So okay. that's just, just kind of, yep. Yeah, it depends on what you want. Preheat oven to 350 degrees. Um, add your uh, cream cheese to a mixing bowl. And beat until smooth. Uh, stir in your mayo, your sour cream, your garlic, your onion, your um, Old Bay seasoning salt, and your uh, Worcestershire uh, sauce and your lemon juice. And then add three-fourths cups of uh, cheddar cheese, your hot sauce, and mix that all until it's smooth. Stir in your crab meat. St- uh, spread that in a nine-inch pie dish or a similar baking dish, whatever is easiest. Uh, sprinkle with your remaining uh, cheddar cheese on top. Bake for about 20 minutes or until the top is golden and bubbly. Uh, serve warm with uh, your sliced French toast toasted or um, your pita chips or crackers or whatever you anything use. to dip it. That would be great for your Super Bowl party coming yes, up here. Next yes, yes. This would be a good one for Super be a good Bowl one party. For that. And uh, by the way, yep. next week we're going to feature some uh, Super Bowl yep. recipes. And uh, that would be a little bonus one you yes. can store away for that. And then for dessert, real quickly, we have uh, cream cheese chocolate chip cookies. Yep. So this is a half a cup of salted butter, softened to room temperature. Eight ounce block of cream cheese, softened to room temperature, a cup of sugar, a half a cup of brown sugar, uh, one teaspoon of pure vanilla extract, three four te- teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon of baking soda, two cups of all purpose flour, and your uh, 12 ounce bag of semi sweet chocolate chips or regular chocolate chips, whatever you like. Uh, preheat your oven to 350 degrees. In a large bowl, cream your butter, your cream cheese, your sugar until they are smooth. Then add your vanilla and mix that well. Um, Next, add your flour, salt, and baking soda. Mix mix until all your ingredients are just blended. Uh, Don't overmix 
overmix this because if you do, you're not going to have a good fluffy cookie. Uh-huh. Uh, fold okay. in your chocolate chips um, until just blended. Um, then place those into heaping round teaspoons on your uh, cookie sheet. Um about one inch apart, uh, place cookies in the oven on the middle rack. Bake for about 9 to 11 minutes. Um, depends on how you like your cookies. If you like them a little bit darker, you can go a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. Um, um, bake until cookies turn uh, golden brown. Uh, remove, place on your cookie, you place your cookies on your wax paper to completely cool. And then stir in, or store in an um, airtight container. Um, or to make eat sure them. they stay yep. fresh, or yes. yeah, just or eat them right there. This this would be great uh, <laughs> as the uh, kids are out playing in the snow. Yeah. You can be making them some uh, cream cheese chocolate chip cookies, yes, and uh, you'll have that and hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When they uh, get right back in, that would be uh, that would be perfect. So another collection of uh, recipes from Kyra's Kitchen that are posted on the new Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page. Uh, you can like uh, like the page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN and uh, also we've got it linked up at the WFIN Facebook page and at goodmornings.net but be sure to like uh, Kyra's Kitchen I need to start take, taking Facebook some pictures page. of these this food and then I can Yeah, put there you go. You can put that in there. I sir. need to yeah. do that. Man. So, we're gearing that up the uh, Facebook page. I'll get it. <laughs> uh, my wife Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program and again a reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. No podcast Monday or Tuesday. After everything we've been through this week, I'm going to take it a couple of extra days and kind of uh, decompress here. Next all-new Good Mornings program coming up on Wednesday. And last year's GameStop stock squeeze. Remember, it made a lot of headlines, but it turned out to be a far cry from the revolt by the little guy that it was supposed to be. So who really got rich in the revolution that wasn't? So until Wednesday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.